0: Hello, and welcome to this Energy Risk podcast. I'm Stella Farrington, Head of Content for Energy Risk. And today I'm joined by Navira Khan, who is the Chief Risk Officer of German energy firm Uniper. And she's going to be discussing a topic that's rising up a lot of managers' agendas at the moment, and that is the issue of mental health. Even before the pandemic, research showed that poor health was the biggest cause of business disruptions across industries globally. And that absence due to mental health issues, such as stress, anxiety and depression, are more costly and last on average 40% longer than absence due to physical illness or injury. And it's not just absences that can be caused by stress. Stress obviously leads to or can lead to an increase in mistakes and a loss of rationality or level-headedness. So when it comes to trading and risk specifically, I think it's very fair to say that it is a high pressured work environment and perhaps never has that been more apparent than in the first half of this year or certainly from between about March and June this year when there was unprecedented price volatility. And it came at a time when firms and people were having to deal with this and react to it during a lockdown where in the majority of cases, people were working in isolation and often in less than ideal settings. So we're going to be looking today at how Uniper dealt with this and what lessons they might have learnt from managing this crisis situation. And finally, As lockdowns ease around the world, we're going to be asking what sort of new set of problems are arising as employees start to return to their offices and the new normal, whatever that might be. So welcome, Navera. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Stella. So could I start by asking you whether you consider the mental health of employees as something that should come within the remit of the CRO?
1: Um that's indeed a very good question. I um I believe that generally the mental health topic um that we will be discussing is much more of a leadership topic. Um so I, I believe my um my affinity to the topic and my passion regarding the topic is much more to do as a, as a leader um of people, much more um than it is just a CRO. Um, so, therefore, I think it's it's one that's very important for the reasons you mentioned um, at the beginning for all organisations and all leaders.
0: In the UK now, there's a, there's been a big focus on mental health for, for a few years now. And there's been several awareness campaigns being led by some very high profile people, um, including some of the royal family. And that's led to a, a much greater awareness of mental health as an, as an issue. Um, is, this, is there a similar discussion going on in Germany and, and other parts of the world?
1: Yeah, UK is uh, very well ahead, uh, I think, in terms of um, very open and very highly sponsored conversation on mental health. Um, in terms of um, Germany and maybe other parts uh, where I'm quite familiar in terms of work environment as US, uh, for instance. I believe that specifically and very explicitly, it is um, probably not as high um, on the agenda in Germany yet. Although, you um, Due to COVID, uh, for instance, a lot more organizations all over the globe are are talking about it, are recognizing it, are keen to do something to address it. Um, And therefore, I think it's certainly a conversation that is picking up um, globally. Um, For U.S., I would like to make a little bit of a point here, because um, I think in Germany, what is quite strong is, for instance, labor law. And there you get an additional push in terms of frameworks, in terms of focus of um, safety Um, and health um, focus on HR um, organizations, Um, whereas in the U.S. and many parts of the states, especially in the energy industry, um, you will not find as much um, of a framework, um, for instance, um, coming out of the labor law perspective. And therefore, there could still be a little bit of a stigma perceived um, when it comes to certain work environments, especially, as you mentioned, in our sector, in our industry, um, and in a trade floor culture, Um, so this, this whole topic of, you know, somebody's cracking under pressure, um, this still has a little bit of a stigma associated with it. And the conversation needs to move a lot more forward. Um, and in Germany, as I said before, we are definitely helped a lot by the labor law and some of the general frameworks that exist within the corporations. Um, although I think at the national level, um, the conversation can be lifted
0: up uh, with a bit more of a higher sponsorship, as you mentioned in the UK. Could you talk about when? Uniper first went into lockdown did People's mental health become of greater concern to you during that time.
1: Yes, certainly. I think um, to be perfectly honest with you, if I were to use my experience um, within um, the COVID nineteen crisis, um, as you know globally, everybody was a little bit caught off guard um, by the magnitude um, of the pandemic and in terms of its um, sort of being widespread and ease of um, infecting each other. So, therefore, I think Unipol was no different. Um, We first and foremost most um uh, very um good uh, in terms of uh, being one of the early um uh, you know organizations where we looked at the situation and as information was unfolding we decided to go into a work from home um policy much more faster than than uh, perhaps others around um so this helped But certainly, um, we very much, like uh, many of our peers, had the um, sense of activism. And what I mean by activism is that as the pandemic was unfolding and as the information was um, quite dynamically changing, we were reacting to that situation quite quickly. Of course, from the basis of a very strong and sound um, crisis management plan, business continuity plan, but nonetheless, it was really reacting to the situation as it was unfolding, and I call that very much an activism phase. I think um, in this phase, perhaps uh, just to keep, if you will, the survival mode was most important. Um, We later on, of course, started to realize that the work-from-home situation would last beyond the two weeks or four weeks, as most people anticipated going into it, and therefore, um, later on, I think uh, with some time, awareness and some kind of sort of actions set into practice, we were much more able to appreciate the how do we now thrive in the situation? And therefore, that's when mental health topic um, it gained a lot more uh, attention, importance and center stage. Um, it was just a natural evolution of knowing that the situation was here to stay a bit longer. And therefore, um, the reflection on how it was impacting ourselves and our people um, became a much more, um, let's say, central topic for us.
0: Yes. Uh, what sort of stresses did you start realizing that people were encountering?
1: Certainly, I think there were numerous, and all personal and professional situations are slightly different. But if I were to generalize, uh, what I picked up on most um, from from having our our pulse on on the organisation and our people was that um you know not not all homes have a very well equipped office environment or space where there's a designated quiet and stress free work environment at the same time demographics within teams are different so you certainly have people um with younger families smaller children I think at the same time, parents were trying to cope with the um, sort of how do we share and turn our homes into office spaces. Um, they they also had to cater a lot to childcare issues, um, given that kindergartens and and some other childcare um, arrangements were were not um, were, were not really operating under normal hours and normal situations. So you have kids, you have uh, homeschooling. Um, that was then also a responsibility of um, of uh, parents. Um, on top of that, um, I suppose um, uh, the work environment issue I mentioned, it can be anything as ergonomics and physical, let's say, discomfort. But most importantly, I felt, at least for my personal opinion, there was the widespread um recognition of um, uncertainty in the environment, uh, not just from business perspective, but also from a personal perspective. Nobody really could answer the question, when does it end? How does it end? What happens after? And therefore, most people that I know were coping with it by just taking, let's say, one day at a time and, and trying to make the most of it. It also happened, as you know, still at a time where where markets or at least the markets, um, energy and commodity markets that we operate in were very volatile. So, of course, it's happening um, uh, that the personal situation is to be dealt with at the same time and workload is not necessarily lower or lowest or can be, let's say, put off. So it was, in fact, the other way around. So therefore, the challenge for for most people has been tremendous. Um, I believe um, in that, uh, at least in that early part of the lockdown, just trying to come up with new routines and new um, new ways of dealing with work
0: and life balance. Yes, and how were you able to check in and and monitor how people were coping at that time?
1: Yes. Um, so, like I said, a lot of the tools were being um, let's say. Um, Uh, I would say, put into practice um, depending on the situation. What I'm aware of and I think worked quite well was um, there were some teams uh, where we noticed they were um, trying consciously uh, at a time when everyone's busy to really take away 15 minutes or so just to have more digital sort of coffees or even happy hours in some cases, um, just to put a little bit of a, you know, sort of collegiate atmosphere back into the digital um, uh, digital life um, as, as that was fairly new for a lot of people. But at the same time, I think the technology offered us all a chance to stay connected and to um, find a way to see each other, at least on screen, and find a few minutes where, you know, you can replace a little bit the coffee bar and the water cooler cu- culture to some extent. So I think um, and I felt um, that that helped. Um, And at the same time, I think uh, what became slightly burdensome, maybe, but very effective and useful nonetheless, um, was um, much more of a touch base. So maybe we were doing, um, let's say, briefer sessions, but more frequent um, conversations with our teams and our employees. Um, because we want to check in uh, with everyone. We want to make sure that we can see a glimpse of each other on, on the screen, know that we are okay, joke around a little bit, um, but also provide, um, uh, quite importantly, the communication and the information um, that um, naturally is easier to find that um, if you are sitting next uh, to each other or if you are, of course, um, sitting in meeting rooms and or finding each other within the building in elevators, et cetera. So I think this part was super important, and we had to take a lot of care that um, everyone feels um, more or less well-informed, not just uh, by posting things on the internet and um, uh, online platforms, but also by um, frequent emails, uh, messages, using, for instance, forums um, like um, uh, like the tools um, Zoom and Teams and whatever else we could, um, to just simply stay very well-connected um, with everyone and make sure that information dissemination at a critical time, um, reaches everyone.
0: Yes, because, of course, the collegiate atmosphere is so important and and integral to your work. Did you feel that this technology was able to recreate it as best as possible?
1: I think so. I mean, this is something to be very proud of. So I think most organisations have something in common. They're always unhappy with their technology and their IT uh, to some extent. And I think, think, uh, you know, um, f- from our point of view, what our teams really appreciated that um, we had so many of the good technological um, and and um, and procedural uh, tools in place that, of course, are always put in place um, with a very different expectation and background in mind, a very different um, vision in mind, I would say. But at the same time, they came in very handy at a time when people least expected um, them to be used for something like a pandemic situation and a work-from-home situation. Um, So um, I think overall um, that was one of the, let's say, silver linings is uh, I, I read a joke, actually, um, that was going on very um, actively on social media about who led the digital transformation in your companies. And uh, there were, you know, multiple choice one. And one of them um, actually um, said COVID-19, which was quite funny because, you know, some of the other options were the CIOs, the board of management, the leadership, the executives, et cetera. And ultimately, I think this pandemic pushed us. Um, to to accept and to appreciate technology um, like no other time, at least in our working lives before. So this is an aspect I think that was not only positive during the pandemic continues to be positive and probably uh, will be a very strong feature uh, of the new normal.
0: And could you also elaborate on what the uh, digital happy hours were? I was quite intrigued by that.
1: Yeah, um, yes, absolutely. So I think we have a, a few traditions, at least I can speak um, uh, for myself, where we, we love to, um, on a periodic basis, um, get together. And I think that because we were missing some of the lunches and dinners and coffees, um, it became an idea that a lot of people were able to um, feel better just uh, closing off their day, seeing each other um, online with maybe a glass of wine, a cup of coffee, or whatever your drink of choice may be, and just meeting up online. And just it gives a little bit of... Um, Yeah, more casual um, conversation. And a lot of times the topics were varied. You know, the topics were very much about uh, the weather. The topics were very much about maybe a little bit of politics and news and media and COVID and statistics. So I think things that you don't, you know, you don't start every meeting reflecting on those sort of general topics. But I think this is the this is the one where where people took the time to really talk about non-work topics. Um, so thereby giving it as much a feel for a social get-together as possible.
0: Yes. So it's so a time for people to have those conversations that they would naturally, that would naturally occur in the office environment when, when you turn around and, and speak to your colleague about something that as, it, as it occurs to you. Um, can I ask you also about um, some of the, specifically around what happened with oil prices at the start of the lockdown? Um and specifically that day on April the twentieth, when they turned negative, um, that must have been particularly difficult to deal with in a situation where people were isolated. Um, you know, it, it almost tested anyone's sanity to look at the screen and see these prices which people had never thought would happen. And you know, people often thought that there was actually something wrong with the printout that they were getting. Um, could you talk us through what your Um, What was your experience when you first saw those prices and how did you start to think about how you were going to deal with them as a company remotely? Absolutely. I think, yes, um,
1: yeah, very mixed emotions, I think, about that day you quoted and certainly a very big event in the commodity um, environment um, for our markets. Yes, several thoughts come to my mind, Stella, if I may. Um, First of all, I think I mentioned earlier the importance of communication and the importance of uh, information flow. Um, Of course, while we were very cognizant of the fact and had set up many sort of forums and ways to do that and make sure that everybody is included and and it reaches everyone um, across the organization, um, you know, it also, of course, leads very much to information sort of overflow and, and sort of being overwhelmed by the number of messages and emails and, um, you know, alerts and invites for webinars and um, etc. cetera that, that we were each getting. So, um, therefore, I think um, amidst the background of um, sort of um, very overwhelmingly um, uh, sort of increased number of information that was floating around, there were some uh, instances like the news of the oil market that really caught everyone a little bit still by surprise. So I think first and foremost, at least in the markets that we operate in, we are very heavily affected by um, fundamentals, but also by sentiment, as you know. So I think um, from a fundamental point of view, um, if you listen to the various experts, um, the the, the, the jury is, I think, finally still out on how much of the Um, or how much of the, the, let's say, the price volatility also in the oil markets, um, but in general, was caused by um, the pandemic, um, as opposed to the fundamentals that were in play anyway pre-COVID-19. So I think certainly COVID-19 didn't help. And on top of all those factors, at least for European markets... Weather, as you know, is another factor. So I think we had very multiple, let's say, ways to deal with, explain, rationalize and analyze, if you will, the information that was coming through on oil markets and oil being such an emotive commodity, of course, filters its effects on all the other ones that are uh, probably um, fundamentally not linked, but but any, anyway, at least sentimentally linked. So we found ourselves um, grappling with that information, I think. Uh, One thing that really helped, um, as you mentioned, the remote and the ability to stay rational is that a panic certainly at these times don't help. And I think we know it very well from having a very professionally run um, commodity trading environment um, that there are so many tools in place in addition to the technology already mentioned, for instance, the way that we and the teams work together on on the commercial front in terms of um, analyzing exactly the price moves, the way that risk management, if I speak for my team, works together with the commercial people to, to really come up with, you know, take a pause, um, take um, the information in. Uh, see what parts we understand see what parts we do not understand and then come up with a plan um to the extent that it is affecting our our business and our portfolios and i think we came out um, fairly resilient on the other side if, if if i can say that because um you know the tools in place for the discipline and really keeping that rational conversation lines open are coming um often so naturally to us on the trade floor environment, but I think we did a very good job actually transporting that into the digital environment as well. So people were not just clicking on screens out of panic and out of sort of, um, you know, irrational behavior, but rather a very targeted conversation on um, what is the new news? um, How much of it is sentiment? How much of it is fundamentals? Where are we affected? How do we um, revise um, our sort of agreed um, trade plan accordingly? And therefore, how do we act in a bit more of a coordinated fashion? So I would not want to minimize that it wasn't a stressful time or it wasn't a time where where, um, markets seemed chaotic and added to the uncertainty that prevailed. But still quite proud of the fact that the tools we have in place to deal um, rationally uh, with market news and information uh, really prevailed
0: ultimately and just without going into the specifics of the system perhaps but did you essentially recreate the trading environment that day and in the days running up to it with uh, was there a sort of chat functionality was were, were traders and risk officers together able to discuss what was going on how did how did it work I think uh, most teams that were most relevant uh, to
1: deal with the situation um, I think they 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 led with a lot of flexibility so I think I believe that uh, people were working, of course, in many instances um, on hours that would normally not constitute their working day uh, in a normal mode. So therefore, everybody was available, um, let's say, to have a very on short notice kind of um, huddle, if you will, um, and uh, all the technology um, uh, that was in play. And I think uh, we were a little bit lucky that we'd gotten used to the, the digital working mode until then, um, but also a little bit of a planning, right? So for instance, we have risk policies in place. They really um, very much uh, prescribe a bit The procedure um, by which uh, we put on, um, administer, but also revise, if you will, our trading positions, and um, that's where um, I think this discipline comes in very handy. Because while you know it doesn't matter really if you were in the office or if you were sitting from your home office, um, as long as you were um, very much kind of um, following that kind of compliance and overall discipline-based tools that are in place um, via risk policies. Um, then people knew how to find each other um, and the flexibility really helped to make sure that the conversations received the the urgent care that they deserved. Of course, as you know, markets, um, you know, you can't
0: postpone that conversation by one hour or two hours or one day. So let's turn now to the current situation and the easing of lockdowns around the world. And of course, it's something that's, that's broadly welcomed as being very good news. Um, but on an ind- individual level, It might not be entirely easy. Could you talk us through where is UNIPA at at the moment in terms of returning to offices and what sorts of issues to do with staff mental welfare do you anticipate in the weeks ahead?
1: Absolutely. Um, So we have been working, as I mentioned, very diligently out of our um, activism phase into the communication consolidation. Let's pay attention. This situation is here to stay for um, not just the business, uh, but also um, let's uh, really, really look after our people. So we have been through all those phases like most organizations have. And I think we have now entered a phase where we're very much planning and looking forward Um, to some level of the return back to work. So I mentioned early on that because a lot of our business, um, especially in the space of uh, operating real-time desks on the commodity trade floors, but also um, our our role in in system um, criticality for the energy system, um, meant that we were very careful and very early in adapting the the home um, work environment uh, policy in that spirit, we also and very consciously decided to be a late and a smart follower in terms of the return to work. We are helped, of course, We're very lucky that uh, we, we had the technology and tools that we've been discussing um, so people can generally do that. And at the same time, we've uh, highly increased our, let's say, Level of awareness and information um, around colleagues that may be finding it a little bit more difficult in terms of operating from a home office environment, due to various reasons, uh, a lot of them sometimes personal. Um, so we have acknowledged that, and while overall we as Juniper will follow a late and smart follower, you know, um, okay with uh, making sure that the colleagues who want to be back in the office on a selective basis and on a very safe basis are able to do so. But at the same time, we are not really expecting, um, and in fact, we are encouraging everyone to work from home at least until September 1st, and then we need to evaluate, of course, as as the information unfolds. Um, So that's where we we are at, and very heavily looking after the new normal project, if you will. Um, We have a coordinated effort um, and a coordinated group of people that is working very hard and diligently um, that involves, of course, our safety team, our building and maintenance folks, but also our colleagues um, that look after operational excellence for us. Um, they are, if you will, um, designing the new normal phase of, of work and we expect to be there some somewhere around
0: September 1st. Thank you. And I guess on an emotional level for people returning to work, um, I I think I I read that it sort of takes about six weeks to form a habit, and we've been in lockdown for sort of three months now. Um, You know, will be even longer by September when when the majority of people start returning to work. What do you think the implications of that are? The fact that actually working from the office is going to be the strange thing to do, um, and that we're all a little bit institutionalised towards you know this strange life that we've had. For so many months now, absolutely, and I
1: think you're absolutely right. I, I have also read statistics regarding um, the the breaking of old habits and forming of new ones. Um, so I think um, this is also very prevalent in the conversation we were having in the beginning. No, you know, people couldn't wait to have information on when can we go back, how do we go back, uh, etc. And meanwhile, this conversation has taken a little bit of a back seat. Um, it's still very important, but I think many more have become much more comfortable um, in that sort of new, um, uh, normal and new, let's say, work habits, um, working from home. And some people have started to very much appreciate also the convenience and the the flexibility that it it can offer. Um, So you're absolutely right. I think there will, um, something um, that we left behind in the beginning of March before we went into the lockdown phase in Germany, I don't think that there are aspects of that that, probably will not come back um, in the same way or at least not for a very long time. Therefore, organizations and leaders just have to be very mindful of the fact um, that there is, um, there is different uh, schools of thought and opinions about what's comfortable and what's convenient and what's, say, workable um, from our team's point of view. Um, so I think going forward, um, there will be a lot more of a remote working culture Um, than what we had previously. Simply because we have done it, we've gotten used to it, we see that it works, we see that it can be effective, and therefore um, at least it will be an active part of the mix. But needless to say, you know, the cafeterias won't look the same, we will certainly still have social distancing between desks, Um, we won't have 100% capacity um, of employees in the building, and therefore, some of that, what we left behind is probably um, it can't be envisioned is back anytime soon.
0: Yes. And can I also ask you, have you thought about some of the emotional issues that, that employees might be coming back with, you know, that are very specific to the COVID pandemic? You know, some may have actually suffered the illness themselves. Others may even have lost loved ones. Or even not, love, not, not lost loved ones due to COVID nineteen, but just lost loved ones in that period where it was, you know, an extremely difficult time to lose a loved one because of funeral arrangements and not being able to properly say goodbye, perhaps in some cases. And you know, they may feel that some some of this has been swept under the carpet, and they come back to work, and nobody really knows what they've been through. Um, a very difficult, a very different situation from. Taking leave, compassionate leave, like like you might do if you were normally at work. Um, ha, you know, have you given some thought to that kind of emotional issue that people might be dealing with when they come back? So I
1: think absolutely, from a leadership point of view, and from a personal as well as a professional point of view, um, I think we have the job of really being very, um, well, one very sensitive to such um, topics. But at the same time, really having that important pulse on our on our um, teams and our our um, colleagues um, to make sure that we offer a bit of these sort of let's slow down amidst of all of the um, the workloads and the stresses, and and really recognize that um, that special situation within our area. So I think um, I think it would be difficult because you know normally what it would have looked like is that if you know of a colleague who has lost a loved one. You, you know, sit down with them over a cup of coffee, you offer um, some kind words, of course, you you listen, um, you, you're, you're there for them, they're able to share that maybe with not everybody, but with a few colleagues they might be close with. I think in this case, uh, of course, some of those routines will be missing. And at the same time, what I want to mention is that there is a very much a sense of communal loss still. So depending on the region where you're at and whether the pandemic feels that it's under control or not, People are having various degrees of um, sort of um, enthusiasm um, with which they're looking forward um, uh, to to the future. The uncertainty we felt, that has not really evaporated and that communal sense of loss of the new normal, I think, will also hit people um, regardless. Um, So if you have the 20, 30% of uh, teams back in in one building in future, um, they will not be faced with the same... Uh, let's say um behaviors and and um, environment around and and the atmosphere will look certainly different yeah therefore this uh, this uh, has to be also recognized because maybe for some people it will dawn upon them at that time um that the, the you know the, the excitement that kept them going to let's say whatever the date is when they will be back in the office actually, what does it really mean? And, um, you know, when are we really back to normal life as we knew it? And are we ever back to the normal life as we knew it? I think is uh, probably some reflections that people will need to make, um, regardless of, of their sort of uh, personal loss um, of a loved one.
0: Yes, absolutely. And my final question, I just wanted to turn to um, technologies. And I want you to ask your opinion. Um Obviously, advances in technology in things like artificial intelligence are helping to improve surveillance around trading. Um, Could these same sorts of technologies be used, do you think, as a sort of first um, flag to show that people are perhaps under stress, Um, you know, identifying changes in behaviour, perhaps increased risk-taking, etc.? Do you think they could be a sort of barometer of mental health or, you know, do you think there's a a line that shouldn't be crossed? You know, these could be seen as obtrusive. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, it's an interesting
1: question. And I think, um, again, uh, regional differences prevail in terms of the public opinion on that. And in terms of my personal take on Germany and maybe Europe in general, I think there is still um, a deep mistrust in surveillance and technologies used for that, um, because ultimately there is a mistrust in the ultimate use of that data uh, that is being gathered. um, And and how well regulated and protected is that? Um, For what purpose is it being used? So I think these are key questions um, in terms of surveillance of personal, personal um, behaviors and stress levels by machines. Um, I think uh, the more um, this is reflected in the legislative framework, such as uh, data protection, um, you know, um, labor laws, um, human resource policies, et cetera, The more comfortable people may feel with it, but I think the first thing we have to solve it um, is is what to what aim and what purpose is it to be used. And you see that very much, you know, when when there is a lot of conversation happening in relation to COVID nineteen, traceability, for instance. You know, I've seen I've seen a lot of news regarding some parts of the world. Um, for instance, in China, where um, people have really taken that on and they've actually used that in favor of helping, let's say, control the pandemic and also make sure that the ongoing spread of it, in in case someone is infected, is very much quickly caught and contained. So, for instance, even technology use in that sense is not really well accepted in many other parts of the world. Um, So, um, therefore, I think um, personally I think and um, there is quite a few things still missing.
0: Um, well that's about all we've got time for now so um, thank you so much for joining us Navira to talk about your experiences with mental health in the workplace. Navira Khan, CRO of Uniper, thank you so much and thank you for listening.